If we are unjoyful Christians, if we are self-focused and upset, that we are way more vulnerable to temptation and to worry. And therefore, all of us, myself and all of us, need to take these commands to heart and obey them by His power and strength. Thanks for joining us for this Monday edition of Equipping the Saints, featuring the Bible teaching of Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. Greg, today we'll take a detour from our series in Nehemiah to look at a subject that I think may make most of our listeners slightly uncomfortable, primarily because we all deal with it. You're talking about worry today. Yes, Dave, you know, worry is, is a common reality for each and every one of us. Now, not every one of us is a worrier, but we are all tempted to worry. Unfortunately, most people don't see worry the way the Lord sees it. Now, in today's message, we're going to explore what the Apostle Paul had to say about worry to a group of Christians in Philippi. And this same truth applies to us today. Our text is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Thanks, Greg. And if you're new to Equipping the Saints, head over to our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org to learn more about this ministry and our teacher, Pastor Greg Lundstedt. Our web address is simply etsradio.org. Now, with today's message, here's our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Now, the world has a solution to anxiety. The world says, hey, you need to medicate it because this will stop it. Now, the reality is God's word doesn't talk about medical issues, but God's word talks about our thoughts and talks about our thinking and talks about anxiety. And God's word gives us as believers the solution to the battle that we have on a daily basis with worry. Well, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah. And in the book of Nehemiah, we've come to a portion where Satan's cohorts threw his willing feet on this earth, those who are not in the Lord's domain, but in Satan's, tried to frighten Nehemiah with fear, tried to cause him to be fearful and to give up on the work. Now, we know Satan will do that, and we know as believers we have all these different things to worry about, but we also get tempted in the midst of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today I thought we'd take a little detour and look at a passage that talks very specifically about what we are to do about worry. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to see what God has to say, not what Greg has to say, but what God has to say about anxiety. And so with that in mind, we're going to see how we as believers can win the battle, in a sense, be victorious, in a sense, over worry. We're also going to see that worry and faith are opposed to one another. That if you are trusting the Lord, you're not going to be worrying. If you're worrying, you're not trusting the Lord. And that this issue goes very deep for the life of a true believer. Therefore, we need to understand what Scripture says. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7 Now let me share some of the context here. The Apostle Paul is writing to the saints in Christ Jesus who were in Philippi. He is writing to believers from Rome. He is in prison for preaching the gospel. He is under house arrest, chained 24-7. And here, within this, he writes these prison epistles, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, most likely written around 62 A.D. 
Now, the Philippian church knows the Apostle Paul well, and the Apostle Paul knows them well. They are very close to one another. And in chapter 1, he has already prayed for them and has shared his love for the Philippians, and he is thankful for God's past work in them, and also absolutely certain that he will complete the work that he has begun. He has shared his circumstances, that he is in prison, but the gospel wasn't. He has shared his attitude that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He has shared his understanding that in everything, whether in life or death, his desire was for Christ to be magnified. And then we see him then pointing to address the attitudes of the Philippians, that they were to be united, they were to be humble, they were to be like Jesus Christ and have the mind of Christ. And with that humility, they're given the perfect example of humility, which is Christ, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. And in light of the fact that Christ is Lord of all, We are to obey him, obediently work out our salvation with fear and trembling because he is at work in us. And therefore, we are not to complain or argue, as we say. Then the Apostle Paul gave in chapter 2 three selfless examples of humility. Those who were working out their salvation and obedience. One, he gave himself. Second, it was Timothy and then Epaphroditus. Then in chapter 3, we see that we would face opposition We will face opposition by those make-believers out there, false brethren who ultimately worship in the flesh, glory in self, and rely on their own flesh. And then we were commanded and motivated to imitate the Apostle Paul, to have the all-consuming desire to know Christ, to press on to the upward goal, the upward call, becoming like Christ Jesus, knowing that we are not like the many that we are not those who set our minds on earthly things, but we have a heavenly citizenship. And therefore, we need to press forward looking for Christ in this upper call. Then he summed up these truths in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. we got a battle going on. we got all kinds of stuff going on. we got all kinds of attacks on our faith. We have them internally, externally. We have Satan. We have attacks on trusting Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul at this point, after sharing that they should stand firm, directed an exhortation to Judea and Syndicate, who were at odds with one another, to be same-minded, to let the mind of Christ, the Word of God, control that they would be harmonious in the Lord, and that the body was to come alongside them and help them, those who had Serve the Lord. You know, Satan wants to sidetrack those who are truly following the Lord and have served him. And we need to yield our hearts and minds to what God has said in his word so that we would be harmonious and we need to help one another out in that. And then after this direct exhortation to Judea and Syndicate, he comes to address one of the most severe threats to our faith in Jesus Christ, which is worry, which is anxiety. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, we'll start. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, as I read this, you probably could have said this from your memory. We know this truth. We have heard this over and over again. But the question is, will we apply it by the Spirit of God in the moments that we are tempted to be anxious? So today, we're going to see how we can stop worrying. And there may be some of you out there that are caught up in worrying. Maybe today you got caught up in worry. You know, every day we are tempted to worry. And if you say you're not, I don't know if you're telling the truth. The Lord knows. We're tempted in every area. We're tempted to worry about our relationships. We're tempted to worry about finances. We're tempted to worry about the church. We're tempted to worry about the future. We're tempted to worry about wars and rumors of wars. We're tempted to worry. And often we yield to this. We're tempted to worry about our physical conditions, our doctor's appointments, whatever it might be. We're tempted to worry. We're tempted to worry about money. And we as believers, we certainly can succumb to it. But we can have victory over it if we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. If we allow God to work in us as we fear him and revere him and apply his word to our lives. And notice, first of all, how we can stop worrying. We need to be continually rejoicing in the Lord, which I believe we're going to see that that only happens when we look at who he is and what he's done for us. And if we're not looking at what Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us, we're going to be worrying about stuff. But when we look at what he's done for us, we're going to be praising him and thanking him and rejoicing over what he has done. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Sounds like a song, doesn't it, right? It is. Rejoice in the Lord always. And so here we have a present imperative command to you all, Philippians, and to all of us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now I can say for myself and certainly for many, and maybe you, that we don't always do this, do we? We don't always rejoice in the Lord. And we don't, we don't do it always, certainly. But we are commanded to do so. And I believe if we are unjoyful Christians if we are self-focused and upset, that we are way more vulnerable to temptation and to worry. And therefore, all of us, myself and all of us, need to take these commands to heart and obey them by his power and strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. We're to be rejoicing. We're to be rejoicing in the Lord. And very clearly here, This flows from what we've just seen, that we're to stand firm in the Lord and we're to not let conflict get in the way and we're to trust the Lord and thus keep on, literally keep on rejoicing in the Lord. You say, how can I keep rejoicing? I don't feel like rejoicing. I've got all these worries. (laughs) How can I rejoice when all this stuff is going on? Well, the key here is, as you will see, is we are to rejoice in the Lord. It is in the context and sphere of a relationship with the Lord and in the Lord. We're to rejoice in the Lord. Now, who is the Lord? 
We saw who he was back in chapter 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. It is Jesus Christ. Now, are we commanded to rejoice in our circumstances? No, but we can count it joy, James chapter 1. We can reckon because of the character of God and what he is doing through those circumstances that we can be joyful. We can count it joy. But here we are to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, how is it we can do this? What is biblical joy? I read it earlier, but turn to Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man who the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then David's going to talk about when he was silent about his sin, how God's disciplinary hand was heavy, but he confessed. And then look down, verse 10, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. We should be praising God for what he has done for us through the forgiveness of sins. When we lose sight of that, we're not going to rejoice. And he goes on here. Be glad in the Lord, rejoice, the righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. And then back in Psalm 16, I'll read this for you, verse 11. In thy presence is fullness of joy. You know, in God's presence, there is complete fullness of joy. We're going to see this in Nehemiah chapter 8.10. Nehemiah is going to encourage those who are working to let the joy of the Lord be their strength. Let the joy that you have when you look at who God is and what he has done for you strengthen you. Let it strengthen you. Psalm 5 verse 11, But let all who take refuge in thee be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. It has to do with him. We're running to him. When David messed up, he said, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. There's joy. When someone gets saved, they don't go, oh, okay, I got saved, wonderful thing. They are so thankful. Thank you. Praise God. You saved me from my sin. I'm such a wretched sinner. I was lost. Now I'm saved. Thank you. There's joy. There's joy. Psalm 71, verse 23, my lips will shout for joy. I will sing praises to thee and my soul, which thou hast redeemed. You see, you're going to be a worry ward if you are not thinking about what Christ has done for you. If you are not rejoicing in what Christ has done for you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Psalm 95, verse 1, O come and let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. 
You know, we shouldn't be the frozen chosen. We should be praising God and so thankful when we're singing together. Our hearts should be bubbling over with joy as we praise God together. One pastor writes, now and again, now he again refers to that which is upon his heart. He would have the saints always rejoicing in the Lord and joy as we will see in holiness are inseparable. A holy Christian is able to rejoice even when passing through the deepest afflictions, but a believer who through unwatchfulness has permitted himself to fall into unholy ways loses immediately the joy of the Lord, which is the strength of those who walk in communion with him. Folks, if you've lost your joy, sin has crept in. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Keep your eyes focused on him. Rejoice in the forgiveness of sins. And if you have sinned, confess and rejoice in being forgiven right then. Praise the Lord, he forgives us. Think about that. A God who forgives. Is that amazing? We serve the most awesome God. So then rejoice in the Lord. Even back in chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul would say, rejoice in the Lord. And now he says it in chapter 4, verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. And literally he's saying, keep on rejoicing, because you are rejoicing, right? If you're a true believer, you have rejoiced at some time. Keep on rejoicing in the Lord. Are you joyful? You might say, no, I'm not joyful. I'm suffering physically. No, I'm not joyful. We're out of money. No, I'm not joyful. I'm having trouble in relationships. No, I'm not. No, well, are you joyful? Those things will get worked out if you focus on Jesus Christ. If you focus on him and God will give you joy as he is working out those things. So then first of all, we need to rejoice in the Lord. You want to get over anxiety? Then start praising and rejoicing in your God and Savior for what he has done for you. Start that. If you're not doing that, forget the verse you've memorized, which we're going to look at. You could say it all day long. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything you pray in supplication with they see love of Christ. You can say it all day long. But if you're not rejoicing in the Lord because of what he has done for you, rejoice always. Forget the rest. So here we see the first thing we need to do is be praising God, rejoicing in him. Secondly, and then that means that takes time. That takes focus, right? It takes focus. Secondly, we need to rest in the Lord. We're going to see it's all about rejoicing in him and resting in him. Focusing on who he is, what he's done, and praising him for it and thanking him and being joyful in that, and then resting in him. Resting in him. We're going to see that. And we see that resting has to do with one thing, yielding, knowing he's near, and then giving over anxiety and exchanging that for prayer. Notice what he says in verse 5. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Two commands that if we, by the Spirit of God, obey, we were going to find peace in the Lord. And that's assuming that you're rejoicing in him, okay? So the first one here is we need to yield ourselves over because we get so strung up and out by what's going on around us, that we have to defend ourselves or reconcile it or make things right, whatever it might be. We're so caught up. But here he says, let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, what does that mean? 
The term forbearing spirit translated gentleness, and in the New King James, your forbearance. Now, this word, the New American Standard puts spirit in there in italics because they're trying to say, hey, we can't get this over from Greek to English without adding some words because it just doesn't go over equally. That's a translation issue. Now, this term, translated forbearance, speaks of gentleness or a gentle yielding, a yielding, a yielding of one's personal rights. And he says here, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. Now, it's a gentleness that only is found in Christ. Second Corinthians 10.1, now I, Paul, urge you by the meekness and yieldingness, gentle yieldingness of Christ, meekness, gentle yielding. We know that God's word, the wisdom from above, James 3.17, is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. It's, it's reasonable. It's, it's, it's reasonable. It's gracious. So he says, let your forebrained spirit be known to all men. They say, wait a second. Am I to go out and say, hi, I'm Mr. Forbearing. I want you to know about me, right? That's not what it is. It sounds like being private. Let it be known to them. Well, actually, what helps us here is that the verb be known is in the passive voice. And this be known means to be manifested. Let it be manifested. Allow something to happen. Allow your forbearing spirit to be manifest. And why so? Here's the key. The Lord is near. You see, if I recognize the Lord is near, then I don't have to fight for my rights because he's going to take care of me. I can go to him. I don't have to fight over the situation. The Lord is near. Now, the term near here means something like is at hand. The Lord is at hand. It's translated, the word is near you, it is in your mouth, it's close, it's at hand, Romans 10, 8. Uh, salvation is nearer or at hand to us than when we believe, Romans 13, 11. Now you're in Christ Jesus, for formerly far off and now have been brought near, Ephesians 2, 13. It's at hand, brought near. Well, what does it mean here? Does it mean his coming is at hand? Oh, certainly, it's, he is coming. And when he comes, he will make everything right. I can rest in that. But he is also personally near. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And if I recognize that, it changes the way I deal with circumstances in my life. I can rest because often I don't rest because I've got to take care of whatever's happening around me because I don't believe the Lord is near, practically speaking. I need to trust he's near He's watching over me. He's taking care of me. He's going to deal with this situation. He's going to work it out for good. For good. i got to believe that, you see? The Lord is near. And when we trust him like that, then we will be a testimony to all. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all. You're going to be different around them because you're not having to defend yourself in that sense, right? We all know that. We've all failed in that. We've we probably defended ourselves and we were truly wronged. But we weren't gently trusting in Christ knowing that he would work it out. Isaiah 54, 17, No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that accuses you of judging you will condemn. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. 
CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the Ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you, thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, as we wrap up today's broadcast, what's our takeaway? Well, Dave, our takeaway is simply this. There are some times that we've already lost the battle with worry because we're not rejoicing in the Lord. We're not understanding that he is near and thus yielding our rights graciously by his power and his spirit. And so with that in mind, we're just beginning our look at worry. So stay with us for our next broadcast of Equipping the Saints. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Yeah.